Greetings and welcome to episode 3.5, the first anniversary special of What Now with Simon, featuring a discussion with actor and writer David Lee Holm. It's been precisely one year since I started this podcast in Iceland on the 24th of March 2020. The virus situation was just hitting the world at that time, and I needed to start planning my return to Finland. About a quarter of a century ago, I was playing Sierra's genuinely groundbreaking horror adventure game Phantasmagoria, which was done with live actors in mostly computer-generated sets. This was entirely new technology at that time. I love these games. They have a charm that entirely computer-generated characters can never quite capture for me. Into the performance of a live actor goes everything that he or she has experienced. That is not possible for any computer-generated creation. There's nothing that can replace a real person, a real actor. David played the lead male role as Don, the husband of the player character. Don descends increasingly scarily into possession and madness, and David's performance is terrific, as anyone who has played it knows. I had the great pleasure of talking with David also while we were arranging for the recording of the discussion. I was so happy to find that I could immediately talk to him very easily and there was an immediate connection and sense of talking to a kindred spirit. I've sometimes talked on this podcast about how I feel that people need to be on the same wavelength in order to be able to even have a real conversation. Otherwise, it just can't happen. The frequencies don't match. It's rare for me to find someone with whom it happens so effortlessly. And like happened with that personal call, with this discussion, we ended up talking for over an hour and a half. David made a good suggestion to make this a two-part episode. The second one will be even longer than this one. But now to the discussion. Any technical shortcomings of the recording are entirely down to me. We did the recording directly in Skype. This was my first time doing a long-distance discussion that was recorded this way, and I could not have asked for a more charming, friendly, warm-hearted person than David to do it with. The second part will come out most likely next week. Here's part one. Welcome to this episode of my podcast, and many thanks for doing this. It's a real thrill and honor to talk to you. Uh, Could you give an introduction of yourself and uh, let us know what you are doing these days? Uh, Hello, Simo. It's a pleasure, honor to talk to you. I really thank you. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, It's David Holm, uh, better known as Don from Phantasmagoria, and uh, yeah, there's a there's a few projects uh, in the works. Uh, most of it I have to talk to you off air. can't say anything at the moment. But, uh, yes, yeah, some exciting stuff ahead, and we need it. We all need it um, after this last year. And a lot of positive news. That's what we need. A lot of moving ahead forward and good positive stuff for everybody. And what I'm doing is going to be great for the game world. Really good. That sounds great, and you are definitely right about how... Uh, good it is to have these kinds of creative things to work um, on during times like this. They have been a lifeline for me too. Um, I wanted to um, 
maybe get things going with this discussion uh, by going back all the way to the beginning. Um, I also have some questions from a couple of my friends, um, a great list of questions actually. And um, uh, I was curious about how you got started. You mentioned when we talked earlier um, that you were always into theater. How did you get started with the idea of becoming an actor? I had a teacher in uh, the seventh grade who uh, probably had a hard time controlling me in class, but realized I was quite an extrovert. And I guess uh, she saw a performer. <laughs> and she uh, asked me if I wanted to enter a contest, an oratory, where you had to write it and perform it. And I ended up winning the whole thing and realized how fun that was. And I liked the feeling, and I knew I had a natural natural talent at it, too. It was fun to be in front of the people and have them pay attention. And so uh, I went to next year to you know high school and uh, took theater and then just went straight on from there. I, was, I did ballet for nine years, almost every day. I toured with several ballet companies. It was great exercise, and not for the acting, but... Also, I think it's great for the acting because it gave you such posture. Um, and then lots of theater. I mean, theater, theater, theater. Until I was 21, I hadn't done anything in front of a camera. So I had to transition that from being on a proscenium or stage or whatever and to, you know, right in front of the lens. So I spent the next four years working on that before I even attempted it so that I was ready. And... I've had a wonderful ride, a really wonderful ride. I was also really fascinated to hear about uh, the time you talked about uh, a little bit when we were talking in private about the kind of self-imposed apprenticeship period. Um, could you also describe that? I, I loved hearing that because uh, I found myself doing similar things with writing and music myself, just setting myself um, kind of a schedule to follow to get better at something. And um, also, I was curious, was that before you went to Los Angeles to study acting formally or uh, during or after that? Yes, I enjoyed our conversation the other day, too, when we were going to talk 10 minutes and we talked a couple hours, I think. I don't know. People have that with me. They can't get me off the... <laughs> they can't get me to shut up. Every interview I've done was going to be 45 minutes and they've been all over two hours, which is great. I have so much fun. Yeah, that was uh, that was in like my uh, second year in L.A. and I already started to star in you know those thirty-something B movies, a lot of horror films. And but uh, a friend I met at a party, he was uh, he was uh, he looked well. I thought it was Orson Welles, which of course it couldn't be. It's his his grandson, and I they look identical, Sasha. And he and I became really good friends. And one day he came over to my apartment and I had two cameras almost always. And he came in and I said, I'm just finishing um, practicing a little. And he watched me doing my own self-rehearsal, not for a project, just my own practice. And he said, oh my gosh, I got to show you something, dude. So we went to uh, his house and uh, up in Beverly Hills, I think it was Orson's house he, he got and uh, had a vault. And he got out these big 16 millimeter reels of film, put it on a projector in a little screening room. And he goes, I got to show you this. 
and it was Orson Welles when he was in his early 20s practicing in front of the camera, just like I was just doing at home, which I had done for years, learning the angle, learning the lights, learning uh, the lens, learning, you know, all of that. And except Orson Welles, of course, had to film it on 16 millimeter film and have it developed and synced and all that. I, I was able to do it on videotape uh, much, much easier. But it was exactly the same thing. And I, I, I had such a fun time. Watch Orson Welles and he'd, he'd stand there and he'd go, let me get a cup of coffee. Oh, uh, no, uh, uh, screw that. <laughs> let, let me get a cup. Let me get a cup of coffee. Let me. Let me. Uh, <laughs> and he turned toward different, you know, the camera angle and all that. Exactly what I did. So it was very cool. Right, that's a really an awesome story. I loved hearing that. Um, and was I never told anybody that. Right. Uh, I, I was very glad to be, first of all, hearing about it and also that you could share it here. Uh, such an insight and um, insider's view. I, I wonder, do you know, have those things been seen by others or, or are they just private, those films that Orson Welles made? No, I don't think those have ever seen the light of day. Uh, the Vault, I looked in it. It had a lot of rolls of film. I don't know how many were the practice or, you know, he used to do test shots and because he became quite a director, you know, and I don't think any of that's seen the light of day. Right, that's really awesome. And also, it's nice that he didn't destroy those, like some uh, creative people destroy their early work or a practice work, but uh, that might be valuable if it ever comes to light one day. Yeah, I think, uh, I think somebody in the family would to do okay if that was released. About those early times, I I wanted to ask uh, about being in Los Angeles. You have had your own kind of minimal setup, but perfect for what you needed back then, just to get by, like a van. Well, originally I was uh, originally I was going to uh, move out to Los Angeles. I had a, a Honda Goldwing, like a big old fat motorcycle with you know saddlebags and all that, and uh, it's about a it's about a week and a half before I was leaving Arlington, Texas, Dallas. And my dad said, you know, you've you never been out to L.A. And, you know, I told everybody I was going to do the uh, Steve McQueen, you know, uh, James Dean, you know, the uh, hippie artist <laughs> type thing. And he goes, you've never been out to L.A., have you? And I said, nah, well, yeah, I was out once, but I was flown in and that was for, uh, I made it to the final three for the uh, Highway Patrol show that Eric Estrada was on. Damn it, can't remember the name of it. Chips. I got flown out for that. And also, at the same time, I was made it to the like final two or three for the lead in a movie called Porky's. I didn't get either one, but that was my first time. And But that was flown out. They shuffled me around. and So I was moving on the motorcycle, and Dad said, well, you ain't been there because it's crowded, and there is a lot of cars. And I don't think it's like Texas, son. I don't think you can uh, pitch a tent or, you know, do this... Uh, this uh, freedom thing you're thinking of. <laughs> and after I heard that, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I never really researched or considered that. And so that same day, I was driving down the road, and I saw this van sitting out in the middle of a field, and I could see it for sale. I mean, it was 100 yards off the road, at least. And uh, I uh, saw it, and I thought, well, that looks kind of cool. It had the sunset painted on the side. You know, it was like the eagles, you know. Driving down the road, trying to lose money, you know, that whole thing. And uh, I went and looked at it. Didn't have wheels on it. And I called the number, and the guy came out 
you know, real quick. And I said, does it run? He goes, it runs great. And I go, well, you want to trade my gold wing for this if you put wheels on it? And we did it right then, that whole thing. And then I spent the next week, I stripped it out inside. At that time, I could work on a car, you know. Uh, today, absolutely no way. You can't even change the freaking oil on these things anymore. But back then, I could. And so I stripped it out and made it a condominium on wheels. And that was my home for a lot of the first year and a half in and out in L.A. But it was kind of cool. It was, I loved it. Actually, I loved it. I wouldn't do it now. I don't think it's the same world out there. Uh, back then, you know, I could park down Sunset Strip and Melrose and all over the place and knew everybody on the street and all that. Uh, it's a little bit more unsafe now. <laughs> It's definitely the kind of thing that um, probably also showed you yourself. I would at least think uh, that you were committed to this. Um, you, you went there to uh, do it for real and uh, found ways to do it, uh, even when uh, it wasn't the, um, the most uh, uh, easy time necessarily in every way. You know, I, I, uh, the way I went was uh, I didn't know anybody, and uh, they had an audition. <clears throat> I'd already studied New York, and then they had an audition uh, for the Academy of Dramatic Arts, and I know a lot of people went there. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know, uh, Robert Redford, and, you know, I think James Dean did, and Marlon Brando, a lot of people went there. So I auditioned in Dallas, and I ended up getting a scholarship. I think it was the only one. I think I could get one to a guy, one to a girl, but nationwide, and I got the scholarship, so then I had a place to go place to study, place to start. That's when I decided to go ahead and fully make the move. And uh, I got to the academy and uh, I never saw so many Jaguars and Mercedes and, you know, these pretty rich kids. It was kind of expensive. And uh, I just parked in a, outside of a park, kind of real close to there. And I always went to the gym every day anyway, the President's Health Club and this membership. So it was fun. I was having a blast, but the word kind of got out fairly quick. I don't know. Everybody wanted to come and hang out in my van after class, <laughs> after school. <laughs> and I was surprised because I didn't foresee that. And then uh, the head person of the school said, tell you what, uh, they even said, you know, it's not real safe here, you know, so once you park your van inside the gate when school closes and then you got the run of the place. I had the run of the whole place at night. It was, it was cool. And then when I graduated there, three years later, they had asked me to come back and be the teacher of the, you know, advanced class for the, the acting. I didn't do it. By then, I was doing movies and I was on my way. But that was quite a big compliment. Plus, a, what a turnaround, huh? Moved there in a van and have to sleep in the parking lot and then, then get asked to teach there. Oh, definitely. What would you say? How much uh, of your training uh, would you credit to the academy and how much to what you did on your own uh, how important were they those relatively speaking like did you feel you learned something from the academy that you could not have learned elsewhere or vice versa just on your own i think um in my case because uh, you know you're you're either born with a, a certain a certain amount of talent be it a singer whatever uh an artist, a painter, you know, you're born with an innate talent. Um, and then there's also the talent that can be taught. And uh, I was I was very fortunate to be born with the, what, whatever's in me. Because um, I watched a, a lot of actors try to be taught. And you can only teach some technique. 
in some form, not the essence. And uh, so the academy was was fine. I got something from it. I couldn't tell you how much from. I got stuff from New York, uh, Michael Sherliff, and uh, all the other people I studied with. You get a little bit from everybody. Uh, a lot of it is just your life, you know, experience and how you really work on yourself as the craft uh, outside of books, you know. And, and in fact, I had an interview uh, with uh, Variety or Hollywood Reporter one time. And this was about after the 12th or so movie I played a starring role in. And, and there were B films, you know, only one had been to a theater at that point, but they were also being sold pretty good worldwide. But the interviewer asked me almost that same question. And I said, you know, now that I've done this much of what I've done, uh, I realized that uh, so many of the classes I took, um, the teachers, they, for the majority, they'd never start in anything, you know. So they're teaching book, technique form from a, you know, uh, theory from a book. And just like any job, the real way to know it is to do it. And so I was very fortunate to get so much work. I mean, I was starring in four movies a year for 10 years straight at least. Uh, and then TV and all this other stuff, the game and games. So I realized, and I said that in that interview, I said, so that's why I, I started doing some teaching because I had that insight. And I was, my classes were staying room only. And I love teaching. I wish I, I might do that again too. Love it. Because uh, it cut a lot of corners for people, save them a lot of time uh, from knowing what it's really like in front of the camera. Uh, listen to the lens call, listen to what they're dollying or what, how they're doing it. You know, know those technical things. Uh, really going to help you know in a quick, you know, a take or two. Because a lot of B movies, you got two, three takes at the most. So you need to get it right to begin with. And there's not really anybody that's going to show you that. Occasionally you'll have a director that'll be a little bit more on that side, but usually they're much more into the just getting the shot, <laughs> making sure the smoke cookies were lit at the light time. And, and, you know, so the more you know about that, which is what I taught, uh, you know, it's the same as the study and like Orson Welles did. And, and uh, I did for so many years. Uh, you've got to know how the camera's going to see you, how you sound the angle that looks good on you, you know, things like that. That's a long answer, I know, but. <laughs> no, no, it's all, it's all interesting. And uh, I was asking out of just pure personal interest also, because um, it's something that interests me, like uh, from just knowing how different it can be for people. And um, um, like some people really benefit from the formal education. And there are always, especially the technical things that maybe learn maybe faster in some fields, especially, but then there are also many artists who either don't uh, attend any formal training and just learn on their own, musicians and actors and even directors sometimes. Um, uh, I can think of so many examples. So it's really interesting to me to hear how this is. For me, it was, um, well, I shouldn't be talking about myself. This is about, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I feel so bad. I, nobody cares what, what I will have to say about this, but um, sorry, I will cut out this hesitation here, by the way. No, 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 no. I love it. You're right. A lot of musicians I know pretty much self-taught themselves. A lot of the best actors I know uh, didn't uh, 
go through uh, any kind of, I didn't go through college. I started, I had scholarship to seven colleges when I graduated high school. And that was because I did so much acting in high school and won so many uh, awards and stuff. Uh, and then um, I had all these scholarships and I had just started, I wasn't six weeks into college. And uh, I got a movie with Ernest Borgnine, Lois Nettleton, Doug Barr. Um, anyway, uh, and it was just, I didn't speak. Uh, Lisa Hartman and I played the, it was called Deadly Blessing. It was Wes Craven's, I think, first horror film to direct. So uh, we played the same role. Turns out the killer is a guy, because Lisa Hartman and I, we looked just alike then. I was, I was so pretty then, but that was a while ago. And, <laughs> and uh, Ernest Borgnine and Lisa, I mean, uh, Lois Nettleton, uh, two people I really admired, uh, old, you know, time stars. They really took a liking to me and spent a lot of time when we were six weeks on location and spent a lot of time with me rehearsing with me and going over scenes and like uh, you know, checking me out because I told them I'm ready to go to L.A. right now. And they said, no, 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 no. You've been on theater so long. You you got you got the talent. You need to bring it in. And L.A.'s rough. It'll eat you up if you don't if you're not ready. So that's why it took me another four and a half, five years before I actually went to L.A., but I knew I was ready to work, and uh, it didn't take long. It didn't take, you know, as soon as I got out of the academy, bam. You also had a really awesome story about um, a kind of a crossroads moment. I wanted to ask if you could tell that story, or is it too private kind of to share, um, about when uh, at one point the uh, van uh, broke down and you weren't sure how things would go? Well... Would be embarrassing, but I really don't get embarrassed. Um, I have no problems sharing my uh, my dumbass moves because we all make dumbass moves. But you know, it's easy to see in hindsight what you should have done. And uh, so on my drive from Texas to LA, I had eight hundred dollars in traveler's checks. Uh, that was that was my bank, and I had never been to a casino. Now, I have ADHD, okay, I, of course, I didn't know that until many years later, but, you know, it's a, a thing with addictive shiny lights and sounds. <laughs> I love it. It's my creative side. But I got to Las Vegas, and I was like, whoa, and it was the middle of the night. By the time I left, two days later, I had $124 left. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I didn't know anybody. So I bought several loaves of bread and, you know, bought some stuff. And, most of it was a gasket out there, and I was able to afford a Motel 6, which back then was $26 a night. I was able to afford a Motel 6 for one night when I first got there, so I could get all cleaned up and find my way to the gym the next day. And I got to L.A. I had, uh, you know, that little bit of money and, and uh, started the academy, you know, two days later. And um, it was about, it was right after I finished the academy, and that was only like a seven or eight week intensive. Um, and so I finished that and I'm driving down uh, Pasadena Boulevard, you know, with the Rose Bowl parade and my van water heater went out. I knew it was a water heater. You could hear it. And I knew how to fix it. But by then I had mm, $6 left maybe. And there was no way in hell I was going to call home to any family or friends and tell them, I've been here two months and I really need money. And, and, no, not at all. It's just not me. I would make it through it, no matter what. Uh, had to for myself. 
And so I went, uh, my van sat there for four or five days, and all I had was some a loaf of bread and a gallon of water and a bottle of vitamin C. So really felt hunger for the first time, and it, it hurts after a little while. And I'm walking down the side, and then they put up signs, Rose Bowl Parade, so it's a, anything on this street will be towed in 24 or 48 hours. And that van, I had everything I owned, everything. And I was thinking, oh, my God, I can't push it off the street. I was freaking out, um, but kept it internal. And I'm walking down the sidewalk with my head down, and I hear a voice, hey, partner, you look pretty down and out, which never happens in L.A., I look up, and there's a guy with cowboy boots and a cowboy hat, and, and uh, I wasn't dressed that way, but I said, uh, what? And he goes, you look pretty down and out. And I go, oh, my damn van broke, and uh, I need to get off the road. I can't push it myself. Maybe you can help me, if you would. Uh, and he goes, where are you from? I go, Texas. What part? I went, well, I grew up in Arlington, but a lot of my early childhood was in Gilmer. He goes, I'm from Kilgore. Small freaking world. Then he points to an auto shop just down the block, like a eight bay auto shop. He goes, you see that? I own it. So within the, from the moment he said something, because if he hadn't said something, I wouldn't have even seen him. Kept walking. From the moment he said something, less than an hour, my van was in his shop. He gave me the keys to his shop, walked me across the street to Pet Boys, put an account on, whatever I needed. Um, he asked me, can you fix it? And I go, absolutely, I can fix it. And... That uh, saved my whole career, saved my life. And uh, went over and had New Year's Day dinner with him and his family. But, you know, his shop, that's thousands of dollars of equipment and this and that. That's how quickly uh, a Texan trusts a Texan, let me tell you. Because, you know, we don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie. Just straightforward, you know. Here's what it is. Uh, and uh, if he hadn't done that, I don't, I don't might not have ever been a phantasmagoria or, or anything else that went on. I mean, I was just, I've been so fortunate in my life in, in ways like this that I look back and it's just almost uh, almost unbelievable to me, almost a, a dream. I got so fortunate. I just love that story because it's such a, uh, um, an important moment in your past where it definitely could have gone completely in a different direction. You probably, of course, would have somehow found some other solution, but uh, at least that led to a very good path to you. And um, actually that leads uh, quite naturally, you mentioned Phantasmagoria and um, my friend Michael Shaw also wanted to ask about um, how you got that uh, role for Phantasmagoria. How did that happen? Hey, Michael. Yeah, I know Michael. Um, seen Michael's profile and stuff. Yeah, let's uh, see, I was, uh, I turned a bunch of those movies and uh, at this point, uh, by this point, which is kind of sad because I think I'd only been in L.A. six years, maybe, at that point. I, uh, I liked getting out of town as much as I liked staying there. So after every job, I went either camping or I went to a little town I did a movie with, with, with uh, Troy Donahue, a few people like that, older stars, and uh, Laughlin, Nevada. It's like a little bitty Las Vegas. That town is like five or six casinos, very western feel, uh, walk between casinos and you could smell cow shit in the air made me feel at home uh it was it was nice and uh being that movie was shot there you know it was a big deal to them so that was a great place because i always had free rooms and uh, meals and i mean just took whatever i wanted to gamble with and 
Also, there are lots of gold mines and places to go to because I go around hiking and scouting all day, looking around, having fun. And uh, I went there after a, a job, and I just checked into the Flamingo Hilton. I was downstairs, and I had that, that big-ass phone they had then that cost 600 a month then. You had to carry that seven-pound battery and, you know, like a military guy's, you know, carry. <laughs> that was the first AT&T phone that had come out. And it was uh, ridiculous for me to have gotten it because uh, the expense was so much. And you, not like now, you didn't have signal lots. But, you know, uh, showbiz, you know, status thing. Plus, I like it. I just like carrying it around. And uh, I just sat down in a slot machine, and the phone rang, and it was a casting director who had cast me in a couple movies, and he said, hey, uh, would you be interested in doing a computer game? And I had done one, you know, a couple months earlier for Electronic Arts, and I went, nah, I'm a pixel character. I mean, nobody even know who you are. Uh, nah, not, not right now. And uh, I hung up, and then uh, the director's wife called back, and uh, she was from Texas, and she hooked me, David, this is Sonny, and she just went on and on and convinced me to fly back to L.A. the next day and met with Tori and Roberta and Peter, and, uh, you know, within an hour or less of being there, uh, I remember seeing such a smile on Roberta's face, and she gave me a hug, and she goes, you're what I was thinking of when I wrote it, and it was so cool, and <laughs> at that point, I had no idea, you know, what the hell it was, um, so, yeah, that was cool. And then I went back. Then they flew me back to Laughlin so I could gamble for another day. And two days later, up to Oakhurst and started the next three and a half months of fantastic journey. What happened after Phantasmagoria? I remember you talking that, of course, over the years you've gotten uh, even overwhelmingly much sometimes uh, positive feedback on that. But uh, what was the time right after that, Mike? Well, you know... Uh, Tori, Victoria, she bought a computer, uh, I think as soon as we got back or before we finished, because neither of us had one, I think, at the beginning of all of this. And then, uh, and we hung out in L.A., you know, quite a bit, and such good friends, uh, and went to a lot of classes together and, you know, things like that. Um, and I just, uh, I kept doing the, the movies. I always do the movies, could be doing them now, left and right, but, you know, B-films, so, you know, there's always so many to do. <laughs> and uh, then I was doing some TV and stuff like that. Uh, things just kept going. Uh, back then, of course, you know, people wrote actual letters, you know, because it wasn't on the Internet yet. And so, yeah, we got a lot of letters. Got like 6,000. I did that first year or something. I don't, I don't remember. It was a lot. Of letters and you know and her too and uh it's crazy i still got most of them majority of them i think big old chest and that was very cool i answered every single one i don't know how much money i spent on headshots because i signed a picture and sent it back to each and every one that's really awesome i have uh, learned a little bit about you now i've just seen your interactions also and i love that you are uh, so easy to approach. Um, you are very easy to talk to. That's very rare for me, actually. I sometimes I just you know I don't know how to talk to someone. It depends so much on whether you're on the same wavelength or how open the other person is. But I love how 
Um, you are also these days you're interacting, uh, for example, on Facebook. My friend Nelson Miguel, you know, he's appreciated yeah. hearing your comments and he's very talented. He is very very talented. Yeah, you know, I was um, hanging out in LA with uh, a couple of actors, and I'm not going to name their names because they're, they're they're pretty good sized and big actors, uh, well known. And uh, I, and I saw this happen a lot. You know, as soon as anybody starts working out there, a lot of people they get such an attitude and. You know, just uh, that was part of what really burned me out in Hollywood. It was just so fake. It was so pretense, and it just goes against every grain in my body. And so, you know, I I did okay because I was very confident and, and knew myself well. But I was hanging out with them. We were at a cheeky restaurant on Sunset Strip. And some people walked up, and they wanted their autographs because no, nobody knew me. And... Uh, You know, one of them said, ah, fuck off. Really insulting. And I, and they walked off, the people walked off, and I went, dude, are you serious, man? That's, uh, that's your fan. That's the people buying your, that's who is making you who you are. No, screw that, man. You'll get used to it. I went, no, I'll never get used to that, nor will I ever treat people like that. Unbelievable. Just floored me. Saw a lot of that. I'm always so glad to see when somebody has achieved success in any area. It's just great to see the ones who uh, remain uh, human beings, you know, so to speak, um, instead of feeling that they are suddenly um, not worth uh, or not on the same level anymore with others. I tell you what, I am, I am, to this very moment, I am just so flattered and gives me such a kick to get, you know, because I mean, it's just, it's just weekly daily still get so many friend requests and just the nicest compliments and um just uh, i mean just you know from families and from you know just all around the, across the board you know and and uh, one was a uh, 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 recently not too long ago ceo of a, a game company a pretty good size one and i was like oh that's How cool is that? You said, oh, you know, growing up, you scared the shit out of me. <laughs> just want to be friends with you now. This is very cool that we have this opportunity through, you know, social media. And so I sent, you know, I just like the message so much. And I sent back, I like to talk to people, you know, uh, I'm, texting's fine, you know, messaging's fine. Um, so I sent a message back and said, uh, I usually I said, give me your number and I'll give you a call. So anyway, and, uh, said, give me a number. I want to give you a call and talk to you. Because I wanted to know how they did, how they started to do the, the CEO of a game company, a good-sized one. And it took over a week till finally I sent another text. And I went, what is the deal? Damn, you must be busy. And finally, she called back. She finally called, and she goes, I'm sorry, I was nervous. I went, you're nervous, nervous about what? To talk to you. I went, are you freaking kidding? I'm the one that's nervous. I'm, I'm not nervous, but I should be. Uh, are you kidding me? That's what's taking so long? Yeah. And then we end up talking for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we take a small break here? Because I, I want to make sure that we now save this part of the recording. Then uh, could we do another segment like this? Because there were still things I we definitely didn't get to yet. Oh, absolutely. Uh, pee break, everybody. Pee break. <laughs> That was part one, and now there'll be an extended pee break. As I mentioned before, the second part 
will most likely come out next week. There's a lot more ground to be covered there. We talk about real life things. David's upcoming book of poetry, good times and bad. David's travels, his favorites, and the time he played Jim Morrison. I also take a page from James Lipton and Inside the Actors Studio. David has also kindly given me permission to include a full transcript of this discussion in my next book of transcripts for this podcast, so it will also be available in that form. Until next time, thanks for listening. Good night and take care.